as I mentioned, it is our privilege to have the Scots with us today. Uh, coming to present first is John, and John and Margaret are pastoring at the Ludlow Church of the Nazarene. Uh, and I think I'll just let them tell you all about how they managed to get there and the trajectory of their, their work. And uh, it is our privilege to have them with us today. The picnic is particularly designed so you can talk to them and ask questions. And especially those of you who maybe are sensing a calling or have questions about mission, make sure you have the opportunity to talk to them afterwards today. But would you welcome John to the pulpit this morning? I greet you in the beautiful name of Jesus. Good morning. I'll greet you again. I greet you in the beautiful name of Jesus. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. I wanted to sure everybody was here. I love the fact that uh, several times we've talked about your kingdom come, your will be done. What are the next words? On earth. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope is not in heaven. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Right? Our hope is in Christ. We are to be made into the very image of Christ. And I'm not supposed to be preaching. Okay, I'm supposed to be sharing a story. That, but, but you see, I can't, um, I can't get away from the idea that yesterday was was 9-11. And I know we're not supposed to talk about politics, so this isn't politics, right? <laughs> okay. But, um, wow. There we go. So 9-11, you know, I mean, we, we've been listening to our friends and our talking, and we've been hearing things back and forth, and one of the things that uh, I, I was, oh, come on. Massive shift in perspective happened to our church, to our country on, nine, on September 11th, says uh, Philip Yancey in 2001. That single morning made us look at our land, our society, and ourselves in a new way, and made us live in conscious awareness of death, made us notice that many of us fill our lives with trivialities and force us to return to our spiritual roots. The talk of unity was everywhere. Church attendance spiked. The Christian leaders began practicing or predicting a national revival. Okay? What happened was, though, the revival never came. Um, we quickly sensed... Um, that our sense of unity was not somehow realized. I, I don't, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to put that into a perspective of your kingdom come. What would that look like? You know, one of the things that I hear over and over is about how God is working, and this is the kingdom of God, in Pakistan. We were reading yesterday about Bangladesh and, and one of the fastest growing uh, works in the Church of the Nazarene is in the is in Bangladesh, and dear friends of ours came and they wanted us to go. Actually, I think they're trying to get us to go to Sri Lanka, which is right next door. But, but it was like this was a country that 25 years ago was 100% Muslim, 
right? And yet, in the Church of the Nazarene, this is one of our facets. We now have over three. Oh, this was this was five years ago. Five years ago, we had we had over three thousand churches, and one of our leaders, one of our friends from India, came and they were sharing about. They said last week we uh, brought into ordinate. We were able to ordain four hundred new leaders in Bangladesh, and it was just like wow. Bang, where in the world is Bangladesh? Okay, well, if you look at it, India is here and Pakistan is here, and there's a revival going on in Pakistan. And then here's Nepal, and we, I got to go with a friend, Fletcher Tink, to, to Nepal and discovered, I didn't know there really, we had 300 churches in Nepal back five years, four years ago when we, when we got there. I didn't, I didn't know that. It was right after the revolution right after the big earthquake there. And, and here, here I was going in with Fletcher Tink to, to, to study and to teach a, help teach a class. And, and it was just like, wow, you know, God is on the move. And, and so when we think of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what do we think about what's going on? One of the things that happened with 9-11 is that Instead of bringing us unity, it polarized us. We now have an enemy. The enemy, well, it, are the Muslims, right? Uh, we're really quiet, and I'm. It, it, but, it, but see, here's where I, I start to think. But Jesus said. We are to love our enemies and do good to those who persecute us. And I'm not sure that we've really sensed any persecution. But, but, but see, I'm, I'm not, this isn't a sermon. This is a, I'm trying to uh, share a burden and share a, a different vision for what God is trying to do. Why is the Muslim world turning to Jesus and we are seeing them as an enemy and this is maybe where my heart breaks is because instead of seeing these are the greatest days we have ever experienced because God is on the move Aslan is on the move there's there's a moving of God throughout the world and and these are good days our world has changed Okay, the, our you know, America was changed 20 years ago yesterday, right? Our world was changed 21 years ago. Okay, <laughs> when we were kids, we felt like we were. I mean, we were invited by the church to go to Mozambique. We were going to go to Africa, 1974, the year of the revolution, and so we ended up staying in Portugal, not going off to Mozambique. And so while we're there. Um, well, anyway, we, we spent like 20 years then in Europe, in, in Romania, eight years, and 12 years in Portugal. And then the year 2000, the Church of the Nazarene invited us to go to Mozambique, finally. 26 years to get to our mission field. <laughs> Slow missionaries here. And uh, there we go. And uh, while, we're, while we're coming in there, we... we I want to tell a story then about what one of the first contacts we had. Margaret, we were going into a country that had 
1,200 churches without a trained pastor, without a pastor. Okay, and I was going to, if if we had, if I had a mic that was movable and whatever, I would, you know, we would, we would, uh, I'd do something here like, uh, I would have brought my, well, let's not do that yet. Okay, so we heard the story and we met Jonas Mulate. Jonas Mulate at that time wasn't called a missionary because he was Mozambican of the Shangan tribe. But God had called him up to the north of Mozambique. Mozambique had like 31 different language groups. So you, you had, we were teaching in Portuguese, but, but there were 31 different language groups, 31 different, well, and, and one of these, um, Pastor Jonas Molati was called by God to go up to this other part of Mozambique. And so since he was a Mozambican going to another part of Mozambique, nobody would have called that missions, except, except that this was, these were the Zulu uh, warriors in the south, the, the, the Shangan, you know, and most of our church is Shangan, and, and up into this area where, where um, that was open to the world, or closed to the world, and it was just opening, God called it, Jonas Mulati. Jonas Mulati went, I mean, the story is a long one because he says that the story of Jonah was, you know, when, when God calls him to go one place, he goes the other. So he was called to go one place and he went to England instead. And finally God got a hold of him, took him to northern Mozambique. While he's there, he meets, uh, he meets jo- Jose Amisi. Jose Amisi was Muslim. Jose Misi, it was interesting. Jose Misi had been hurt by the church. He, when he was, I think in fifth grade, he was told that he either had to be baptized or he was going to be kicked out of school. While wanting to study, he, he, God led him different ways until finally he joins the military and he joins on the wrong side. He joined on the Portuguese side and he, and they lost. And so here's the civil war, and all of a sudden he's just, he's totally lost, doesn't know what to do. But he meets Jonas Mulate, and Jonas Mulate loved him into the kingdom. I love your words because no one has argued into the kingdom. Ever. Think about it. How did you get into the kingdom of God? You weren't argued in, you were loved in. Someone loved you, someone trusted you someone someone went out on the limb for you and so here is Jonas Molate who becomes a Christian and and he probably shouldn't have gone to our Bible college but he did he was chosen least likely to succeed he wasn't a great student he didn't fit in in the south he didn't fit in the he just yeah some of this I won't tell you one of the some of the stories but he just he just he wasn't the the one that you would pick out to be the success. But so after four years of uh, time in our studying in our seminary in Maputo in the south, he went back home. The missionary at that time, a different missionary said, okay, if you're going to be, if you're going to come, we want you to go to this city. There were three graduates from the south um, or in the, in the north going home. One of them went to the capital city. One of them went to the port city and and he was going to go to a village where they had a big work and and he said you know i can't go home i i have to go to my family and the missionary wisely said your family is, is muslim 
<laughs> Jose said, I know. I mean, that's why I've got to go, right? That's why I have to go to my family. So he goes back to his family with the understanding that his salary only starts when he gets to where he's supposed to be. Right? Not our great moment there. But he goes back into his village. We, we met him. We, we, the story that we heard two and a half years later was that they had made him district superintendent because he'd started 50 churches. One of them was on the veranda of his brother's house. His uncle had been the imam in the Muslim community. Passed away, so it passed to his brother, and he comes back to his brother's home and starts the Nazarene church on the veranda of the, of the Muslim community's leader, uh, leader's house. Um, we got there a year and a half later. We, we went in to, to do an assessment. We were there with 70 pastors in a building that they had built themselves, mud, thatched roof, their church, sitting on the floor, and Margaret makes the, asks the question, uh, what, pastors, what can we do for you? You know, they, and it was interesting, you know, fifth grade a, a average education, they, um, they had, um, they were, half of them had shoes. They, they said, missionary, we need a teacher. Missionary, we need a teacher. And understanding this, this passion on their part, I mean, so we were able to take one of our, actually he didn't speak that language exactly, it was Lomwe, it was close to the Makua where he was, so they brought him in. We helped him with a bicycle. The church there gave him this little plot of ground. He would then go from out to these villages. Remember, there were 70 pastors wanting, a, wanting to be trained. So they would go out to this, this one area and, and five or six churches would get together and their pastors would be with them for two days and then he'd ride his bicycle to the next place and, and eight or nine churches would get together there and then he'd come home for three days. So two days here, two days there, he'd come home for three and he would have one day with his family, well, three days with his family, but, but two days teaching and then one day of rest and then he'd go back on his, you know, and and it was beautiful to see God working there. But one of the things that I, I remember, we just worked with the Gideons yesterday. And we, I mean, this past Sunday, uh, Saturday, we passed out about oh, over a, somewhat over a thousand Portuguese and in English New Testaments in the community there at Ludlow. And and uh, but but it reminded me as I held that little New Testament, I was going to bring one, and and I can see it. Do you have the Portuguese? Okay, anyway, so you know the Gideon, little blue Gideon, Portuguese. So the story would be like this. Pastor José Amisi would go into a village. And he would, uh, he would share the gospel and he would basically start a church in two or three weeks. And then he would... He would uh, go to one of the pastors, or he'd go to one. Okay, let, okay. Uh, uh, in the there we go. In in that section over there. Okay, look around, look around at each other. You're a brand new church. Okay, choose your pastor. 
Now, it needs to be someone who reads. It needs to be someone who you trust. It needs to be someone who, you know, it's, it almost sounds like Paul, doesn't he? He said, choose someone who is uh, respected in the community, not given to wine, uh, in good relationship with his wife and his family. I, it doesn't talk about biblical knowledge. Look around. Who Point to some. Who do you want to be your pastor? Okay, what's his name? Diego. Diego. Okay. I have, a, I have a New Testament for you afterwards, Diego. Now, here's the problem, though. The, pro, the, the New Testament I'm giving you is Portuguese. And everyone in your community speaks Makua. But don't let that stop you. Okay. One of the, one of the stories, we... We, we, went, we went back there with one of our South African leaders oh, about 10 years later. And the DS was so excited. And he said, uh, I want to take you to our newest church. Right? And he was so excited. So we, we got off the main road and we were on the dirt road and we were going back into this, to this area in northern Mozambique. And, and uh, it's, it's an area right now where there's fighting going on. But at that time, we went back along this road, and uh, the DS said, whoa, stop, stop. And there were three ladies coming, walking. We were going to your church. Where are you going? They said, oh, pastor, or DS, we, are, we have started a new church. We're walking because it's going to take us about two hours to get there. The pastor will come tomorrow because he's got a bicycle. He can make it tomorrow morning, but we have to get ready and we, we're going to go there. I mean, this was the newest church at, right after our district assembly, and they'd already started, they were already starting a new church. You know, there's something about we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I remember Pastor Josiah Misid saying, you know, when I was a Muslim, I had no assurance of salvation. But now I can know that Jesus Christ saves me because he's given me his Holy Spirit. And here's this man who's, who's started, who's had started, by this time he had 70 churches. He said, I can't get to all of them because some of them are across the river and I don't have a boat, I just have a bicycle. You know, but there are people who had come in there, they'd taken the gospel to the next village, to the next village. And, and you know, it was interesting because the result of Margaret's training and teaching in Portugal, we had, when we went there, remember there were 1,200 churches without a trained pastor? We were able, Margaret was able to see almost 600 pastors trained during this program. It was the first one in the Church of the Nazarene that was, that was focused on meeting Peter's and John's as opposed to Paul. I mean, think about this. You know, not, not a high education level, but a lower education level. And so, so here, were these, here were these men who were, well, they were taking the gospel to the next village. They were being trained, but we were there to, was it 19? No, 2018, we were back in Mozambique. And, they, and the DS, so how, how is it going with the pastoral training? They said, well, we have a problem because now we have 1,500 churches without a trained pastor. You see what that means? That they're still going to the next village, sharing the gospel, starting churches, 
and they need the training. And so this is, this is our passion. This is what we see that God is leading us to. I just I want to read a scripture. I think it speaks to where we are right now. It's from Hebrews chapter 12. Remember, we were talking, well, in Sunday school class, we were talking about this, the fact that God speaks. You know, that Hebrews starts with these words. Um, Long ago, God spoke many ways, many times through our ancestors, through the prophets. But in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. The son radiates God's own glory expresses the very character of God, sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. But the book ends then with this, the the same sermon, right, right at the end of it, then it says this, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. Now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed, and only the unshakable things will remain. Go back to the thought where we started, the kingdom of God. We are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. If we live in a world that is anything, it is being shaken. Okay, it's not the Democrats' fault. It's not the Republicans' fault. It's not the Muslims' fault. Can we, can we hear this? This is what God is saying. I will shake everything. What are we hoping on or hoping for other than Jesus Christ and the kingdom that is unshakable? I think we are living in the most exciting days of all. And I just want to say what our pastor said. Make sure your speech reflects the speech of God. We need to have an awesome, we need to have an awe Well, what is awful, holy fear and awe. The kingdom is unshakable. God is doing something in our day that we've never experienced before, and it's not a political thing. Our world is being shaken. Let's pray. Mark is going to come up and bring this a different direction. Jesus, we... we recognize the fact that uh, you are shaking the Muslim world. That people are turning to you like never before in all of history. That you are shaking our world in ways that we're not ready for. Lord, open our eyes that we might see your work. It's not about the enemy. The enemy is doing, the enemy is defeated. The enemy is is doing everything he can. There are death throes. 
and yet you are victor. You are Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the living one. You are the powerful one. You are the one who speaks and everything shakes, Lord. And someday you will say a word and everything will be finished and over. And Lord, this morning we just want to say that we are yours, that we bow before your authority. We bow before your majesty. We recognize that you're not only creator, but you are the one who begins. You're the alpha and the omega. You're the beginning word and the last word. There's nothing we need to fear because we belong to you and we are part of your kingdom. Lord, help us to see your moving in our days and help us to realize that that as of a, a couple of weeks ago, you know, for four years there have been no almost no immigration, and now we're going to have Afghanis coming into our country. Help us to see them as the result of our prayers. Help them to see them as people who are not our enemy. These are the people that we need to be reaching out to. We need to be your hands and your feet, and help us, Lord, to see the opportunities where others see only problems. Jesus, forgive us. Open our eyes. Help us to see what you're doing. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Three of the countries in which we lived, we went to the countries soon after of the fall of a totalitarian government. So we've seen in practice what it means when people have been um, persecuted, what kind of fear re um, results from that persecution, what kind of um, distrust between people, and what kind how systems are affected when there's a totalitarian government. Three times. Part of the things that happens is <clears throat> you have to understand, everybody personally has to understand that anything you say or do may be observed by somebody else. Any mail that you send or receive may be inspected by somebody else. Anything that you say on the phone may be heard by somebody else. Those are the practical realities of shifts like this in the government structures. What you hoped you could buy when you went out because you saw it yesterday may not be on this shelf today. So I'm just going back to what John is saying, that kingdoms are being shaken. And what sort of people need we to continue to be? I believe that everyone here has had an encounter with Christ and knows that he is Lord He's Lord of it all, and he needs to be Lord of our lives. Lord of our spending, Lord of our words, Lord of our transmissions through 
whatever means we're communicating with people. If he's truly Lord, then he's also Lord of our giving. And as we're looking at faith promise today, I appreciated what Pastor Larry shared about something up front in the next year that the Lord may bring into your um, pocket, so to speak, into your life that you could give, give away to faith promise, that faith promise is a way to reach others because of your giving. But there's another way that we can think about faith promise as you look at your cards. And it's a way that I have responded in several different years when I've given, um, put my card into the faith promise um, system, is that I'm willing to give up something that I do regularly. Now, it may be it may be coffee, but I'm not a coffee drinker. So in my case, it was other things. I would uh, think that I don't need that every week. And so if I give that up every week, then I could put 3 or $4 into Faith Promise every week. In Africa, how it was, sent, was um, worked out is in their Faith Promise giving, if they were... Um, if they had produce and if they had chickens, okay? And so if they had chickens and they could give the price of one of the eggs to Faith Promise giving, that was beyond their tithe. So Faith Promise, what I want to say, is very practical. It comes completely down to where we're living and where we're spending. But it's also practical that God will give you instructions about how you're supposed to respond to it. I was thrilled to see new members come into the Church of the Nazarene. And one of the things about the Church of the Nazarene that I appreciate so much is that we are an international church and that we can have Nazarenes come in from many countries of the world, over 160 different world areas. And they can drop into our fellowship and we can say they are brothers or they are sisters. So um, the kingdom of God is coming. There is shaking. Can we hear? Can we prepare, be prepared for the mission? We've served in several countries, but the mission is only one. There was a song that was sung by Steve Green a bunch of years ago, so many years ago that several of you may not have ever heard it. But I wanted to read the words to it. It was written by John Moore and John Randall Dennis, recorded by Steve Green in 1989. 1989 was the year that the Iron Curtain fell was the end of apartheid in South Africa. 1989 was a significant year. It was the year that Ceausescu was executed in Romania. So in, 18, in 1989, this was the song that Steve sang. There's a call going out across the land in every nation, a call to those who swear allegiance to the, Christ, the cross of Christ. 
call to true humility, to live our lives responsibly, to deepen our devotion to the cross at any price. A call to true humility, to live our lives responsibly, to deepen our devotion to the cross at any price. Let us then be sober, moving only in the spirit, as aliens and strangers in a foreign land. The message we're proclaiming is repentance and forgiveness, the offer of salvation to a dying race of man. To love the Lord our God is the heartbeat of our mission, the spring from which our service overflows. Across the street or around the world, the mission's still the same. Proclaim and live the truth in Jesus' name. Thank you, friends, uh, for those stories and for... Uh, teaching us more about the mission of Christ. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the ways you've been speaking to us this morning. And we invite you to continue speaking. Help us to hear all that you say. Continue to guide us as we consider what it means to respond to your call on our lives. Enable us to be your ambassadors through word and deed, to bear the kingdom of God and to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is in the work of redeeming everything that can be redeemed, restoring all that can be restored, and bringing every person who will into his kingdom. Help us that we might be co-laborers with Christ in this incredible mission. For we ask this in your name, Heavenly Father. Amen. And now may the Lord enable you to be all that he hoped you would be when he created you. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>